0: From KUAR in Little Rock, I'm Phil Marriage, and this is Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Now in our 20th year on the air, and still the only program on radio today dedicated to the preservation of comparative generational thought. In 2001, our program offered two presentations. The first, Race Relations from the Black Perspective, and then later, Race Relations from the White Perspective. Little Rock member Dr. Terrence Roberts was one of our older generation guests.
1: When I was born, the Supreme Court had ruled in 1896 in the Plessy versus Ferguson decision that it was constitutional, legal, ethical, moral, socially appropriate, and highly desirable to discriminate, and that discrimination was based on skin color.
0: And the late Brownie Ledbetter was our older generation guest for the white perspective.
2: We made segregation unacceptable, so people just deny their racism now.
0: My other generational guests round out this retrospective on race relations. We'll get started right after the news. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Our program tonight is focused on race relations in the United States. For the last several weeks, our nation has been torn by the seemingly endless struggle for racial harmony and equality. Nothing seems to bring us together, not education, not religion, not violence one on another, or even march after march. It seems to be without hope that we could move beyond this bondage to such a destructive human prejudicial trait. Our program has always focused on comparative generational perspectives, and in our 20th year on the air, we have over 275 different topics, and this evening, We go all the way back to program number two, first aired in May of 2001. The topic was Race Relations, the Black Perspective. We follow that with Race Relations, the White Perspective. I have merged the two programs into one, and as you listen, you, having the knowledge of the subsequent years, can feel and empathize with the frustrations for not having solved our racial conditions. My guests for the white perspective, which comes first, were Christy Bailey, Dr. Linda Alcoff, author of Visible Identities, Race, Gender, and the Self, and the late Brownie Ledbetter. She was a political activist and social crusader here in Little Rock. My guests for the black generation were high school senior in Pine Bluff, Natalie Maddox, attorney and now presiding judge of the circuit court in the 11th Division of Western Arkansas, Ernest Brown, Jr., and from California, Little Rock Nine member, Dr. Terrence Roberts, who's now 78. As you listen, remember, these were race relation perspectives from 2001. I wish we could compare their thoughts today. Let's begin first with race relations from the white perspective. At that particular time there, what was the prevalent attitude of, of whites on race relations as you were growing up?
2: I think we were, we were pretty much unaware that we were racist. We thought of folks in the southeast as more racist, but I think we found out pretty quickly that we were very racist. What
0: were the things that kind of made you? Well, when we had the
2: crisis, and when he was standing on the steps along with eight other good folks, we began to feel those things, and I think it polarized this community. Some of us worked in civil rights, and some of us didn't. Some of us worked in. Segregation but I don't think it was a generational thing.
0: Was it a thing that was like not even on the radar at that time? Or was What, race? Race, yes.
2: It was always on the radar, it was always underneath. Everybody stayed in their place, did what they were supposed to do. Were
0: you in the Little Rock area at the time? Yes, I was raised here. I know those of us who have come from other parts of the country, our our levels of uh, white interpretation of of race might have been a little different than what was down here. Are you saying that uh, those that lived in the South may have had a different attitude on race than those that lived in the north? No, I think
2: uh, Dick Gregory had it right when he said the difference is very minimal. In the North, they don't care how close you are. Big you get as long as you don't get too close, and in the South, they don't care how close you get as long as you don't get too big. So I think pretty much that was it. Obviously, we had the the worst practices. We had the laws that were bad, and so the struggle was right to start here. And I think if we had not been perceived as the region with the major trouble, we probably wouldn't have made the gains we made up through the 60s and uh, with the Civil Rights Bill and so forth and so on. But... Truth be known, I think it's a nationwide problem. I think it's still a very large
0: problem. So while the, uh, the blacks were, as Dr. Roberts was talking about at that time, as they were becoming uh, mobilized in, in efforts to raise the awareness of levels, uh, at that particular time, were whites just not paying now attention? There
2: were groups. I mean, my father, as far back as the 30s, had been very much involved in interracial groups. There was the United Church Women, which now known as Church Women United, was an integrated group of women who met at Aldersgate, a um, very courageous group. There were efforts.
0: Well, let's jump forward just a little bit here, uh, talk with uh, Dr. Linda Alcoff in Baltimore. Dr. Alcoff, in the middle generation, what do you, what were your uh, earliest recollections of, of race coming into mind?
3: Well, I grew up when all of this was going on, and I grew up in Florida, but my my stepfather's family were from Georgia, and we used to go to Georgia and South Carolina every summer. And I, I remember very clearly um, the situation was like uh, Miss Ledbetter describes it. There was a, a real split, a real polarization among white people on what was going on. Um, there was people who absolutely opposed it, and then there were liberals and the liberal position one thing i remember so often back then people would say there's good blacks and there's bad blacks right (laughs) and the good blacks were the ones who were deferential and patient and the bad blacks were the ones seen as generally coming from the north and you know making more demands and so even for those liberal whites who supported some level of integration they would often make this kind of distinction between good and bad blacks. But you know, my grandfather on my mother's side was um he confessed to me late in life that he'd he'd participated in some clan activity in the nineteen twenties. He was as racist as you could get. But his his daughter, who was my mother, married a man who was from Panama who wasn't altogether white and so you can see you know I think there were generational differences and in my generation I think we had real differences because we had experiences of of musicians and of you know people who were African-American and who weren't like the old-fashioned ones who were not so deferential and were you know it just had a gave us a different image of African-Americans and so I think it made it possible for us to begin to think even more, you know, differently.
0: The younger generation, Christy Bailey, uh, does this sound foreign to what you grew up with?
4: I think um, one of the things that comes to mind is the characterization of racial relations. Uh, What comes to my mind is not necessarily black and white. Maybe because I am younger, you know, we think of racial... I don't want to speak for an entire generation, but I think of racial relations as Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, Mm -hmm. Caucasian. You know, it's not just a black and white issue. Maybe in the past, that's what, you know, when when race relations was mentioned, that's what came to mind. But I don't think that's so much the truth anymore. You know, we've become such a diverse population, a diverse state, even here in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. So that's the... um, that's the difference. Also, I think that um, through television and, and multimedia, through our practices, I don't think that there is um, maybe the same attitudes of integration, you know, mixed couples, et cetera. It was never an issue. It, even in my elementary school and on, up, you know, I went to school with many different, many different races and um, people of different, you know, cultures. So it's really not a foreign, it, it was never an issue.
0: Well, going back to uh, Brownie Ledbetter, uh, was it in your generation's time, was it just black and white, or were were there the other...
4: Well, I think that's
2: the key issue. That's kind of uh, white and Caucasian and African-American relations are to this country, like uh, religion is to the Middle East, and like languages in Belgium, I think it's been our greatest wound and our biggest problem. And all these things, as you mentioned, other kinds of diversity cultural pluralism play off on that but it's never the same. It's Mm -hmm. never quite the same as the deep wound that we we have that we I hope will get over someday but it's I've been very impressed with what the Chancellor here has said that uh, he's done this study and he said we can't fix racism until we face it which is wonderful. I've always thought that we worked so hard through the, the more active civil rights period to recognize it and to deal with it and now we made segregation unacceptable so people just deny their racism now and that makes it very difficult to overcome the, the rather stringent vestiges that we mm-hmm. still have.
0: Dr. Alkoff, uh, in the uh, middle generation areas, uh, area there uh, in your article about what white people what should white people do as you were uh, going through your years uh, coming into maturity there what did white people do?
3: Well they did everything under the sun. I, I remember being in eighth grade and arguing with you know some kids in the cafeteria about racism and and uh they were going out into black neighborhoods in their cars at night raising trouble and you know just pick and fight um and then there were others of us that demonstrated with civil rights um you know activity and got threats on our lives as well and uh so it was you know really all over the map and it's hard to know why do some people go one way and why do pe- you know other people go the other way.
0: Uh, Christy, what makes the, your attitudes different?
4: I, I think that it's been mentioned earlier that we don't acknowledge and, and that's one of the main problems is that because you know it's it's technically not been a formal you know societal issue mm-hmm. that now we don't acknowledge it and I think that's a mistake in itself You know, with different policies and different, you know, uh, discrimination policies and and the things that have emerged, um, you know, in my generation now, it's as if we don't um, acknowledge the fact that people from other races that are non-white individuals have a different experience, even in our wonderful you know, society of equal rights, and you know the the truth of it is, is that I, a counterpart, a twenty you know three year old African American female, and I, even if she was raised in the same town that I were raised in, mm-hmm. same level of education, we have not had the same experience, um, and I have an a certain invisible advantage that I myself am not even aware of mm-hmm. at times. I'm sure. So I think that that's the biggest mistake. Is it's that it's like we've made such progression. But almost the progression has almost hurt in a way because now it's like um, we think we may have the problem, you know, taken care of and it's not an issue and that's a mistake.
0: Dr. Alcoff, I'd like to ask you uh, that particular um, question again uh, from your uh, advantage point uh, looking at it from kind of in the middle looking both directions. How have things changed or have they not changed?
3: Well, I think affirmative action made a huge difference. opening doors in education and in the government and um, other arenas of society to non-white people and that um, having teachers who are not white i really appreciate um, your younger generation person (laughs) who was talking about how it's not just black white anymore i Mm -hmm. think in the south lots of parts of the south it mainly was a black-white issue. But even in the South now, it's much more diverse and complicated. But having teachers, having people that you're working with, having managers, having, you know, radio (laughs) disc jockeys and all kinds Mm. of people who uh, are not white and will do those jobs with their diverse experiences, as she was talking about, and then having young people have experience with people as managers and teachers and so forth can really (laughs) open up you know, the doors to to how people can interrelate and understand where each other is coming from. I'm just worried that the doors of affirmative action are going to close and we're going to have one generation that was more inclusive and uh, and then it's going to tighten up again.
0: You're listening to Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. This is a combined rebroadcast of our 2001 programs on race relations, the black, and race relations from the white perspectives. We'll be right back after this short break. We are back. In 2001, we recorded two programs, one on the black perspective of race relations and then a second on the white perspective. Let's get back to our guests. Middle generation, Dr. Alkoff, where's the timeline? Where are we?
3: Well, I I think we're in a real uh, difficult transition period right now because I think that the—I don't want to overplay education, but when I went to public school in the South, Sherman was the bad guy, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know? And Still, even then? <laughs> well, he he did apparently burn down one of mm-hmm. my relatives' mm-hmm. houses, but we got a very skewed picture of the Civil War, needless that's to say. Right. And nowadays, I think um, young people have access to a much broader perspective of the history of the United States, and that's just something that we did not have access to, even when I was in public school, and I think that that you know, makes a big difference. Yes, there's, it's, people, some of it's good and some of it's, it's bad. But I think it's created a crisis because I think that's what I tried to write about in that article for white americans in particular to understand to to rethink sort of the history of the united states and what is their place and what is their particular history and you know how to understand um are we the bad guys are we the good guys are we some of both how to think about what whiteness means and pride in your country and pride in the history of your country I mean, all of this is in crisis now that we know a lot more of the truth than we used to know. And we have to figure this out. But I think not facing the truth is certainly not the way to go.
0: With all that you see in movies and television and the media, the portrayal of of race relations, black, white, Hispanic, whatever that might be, is that an accurate, a truthful representation of what you live in in life?
4: I don't think there is a um, much representation. Of j- j- we'll just single African Americans out There's not a lot of um, Movies, there's not a lot of television Shows mm-hmm. where it is strictly You know that's just another um, I turn on the television and for the main for, You know for the most part I see a f- Reflection of me in my life Um, Middle class Caucasian you know representation I go to the store and buy band-aids what color are the band-aids you know uh, we talked about that in a diversity and oppression class you know and that was something that I'd never thought about you know Mm -hmm. stroll down the toy aisle and look at the Barbie dolls you know and there is there's a there's breaking through and I think there's a progression but still yet we have to you know realize when you look at um news media, like, like someone said earlier, radio uh, disc jockeys, you know, how many, how, how really diverse are we? Mm-hmm. You know, is it something that we just like to talk about? Or is it true, you know, and project yourself, you know, if I wasn't white, you know, how would I feel about that? Open up a fashion magazine. I don't really think there is a representation, an accurate representation. Ronnie
0: well, Brownie Ledbetter, in, in your generation, is again, with the media, movie, TV, uh, the representation for reality then was terrible.
2: I can remember going to a conference in Detroit after the rebellion there and uh, being in all these workshops, and I I was thrown into one about the media, how to change the perspective through the media, and there was an observer there who was with one of the major television channels who did a lot of research, and um, everybody jumped on him, all the white folks, jumped on him and said... uh, You know, why don't you have more blacks on television, blah, blah, blah. And so he shared some research with us. The U.S. Steel Hour was the first primetime drama in which a black appeared, an African-American appeared. The African-American who appeared was a doctor, and he was in nearly every frame of that television show. And yet when he did the research, something like only 10% of folks and almost no white folks recognized that he was actually black because he didn't fit the stereotypes. And that kind of stereotyping still goes on.
0: Dr. Alkoff, uh, your generation basically has uh, lived through the coming of age of media, modern media anyway. Uh, what's your take on the media and, and race relations?
3: Well, I remember the very, very negative images that used to be. Yeah. And then I remember a long period when all the bad guys were non-white. <laughs> and then you went through a period where uh, African Americans, especially on television you hardly have anybody else is not why but we're all good you know what i mean they were like they went from all bad to all good and i think just now we're beginning to get to a point where we can show good and bad and show some variety of people i like the george lopez show actually because um it just you know goes against some of the stereotypes of latinos
0: dr Alkoff, in the middle generation is your generation satisfied with where things are
3: I think, you know, there's a real uh, mix, that the, the polarization back from the 60s uh, is still with us, and there are people who want mm. to go back yes. to the way things used to be, and they think that all the problems in this country, like crime, are the mm. result of liberal uh, laws against uh, racial discrimination and so forth. So there's a lot of people who want to go back, and there's but there are also a lot of white folks who want who, who see this as an inevitable progressive transition and that it's going to keep getting better and better and, you know, ac- accept the fact that uh, things will uh, progressively change.
0: Brownie Ledbetter, as you're looking back, uh, what were the best things that the, uh, that the, the white race did in terms of uh, race relations as you were going up, and what, what were the worst things that they did?
2: I don't know if I want to hash through all that. Wake up was the best thing. But uh, I think, you know, some of the changes that are really good, like seeing a little more diversity on television and so forth, also have a, a tough side, and that is when people see that, they figure it's okay now. And, and that's one of the toughest things. You know, I remember when we used to think if if we if those things happened, actually when, when the nine African-American kids were struggling to get in, Central High, I remember that we were so naive, uh, some of us white folk, that we thought once they got in, it would all be over. <sighs> and when I look back at that now, I can hardly believe, you know, that we were that naive. But uh, it, took, it took a lot of learning. We had to wake up in the north. The well, night. I'd
0: like to take advantage of Dr. Alkoff's location being in the northeast part of the country here. Uh, Dr. Alkoff, how do you see uh, race relations from the white perspective regionally?
3: Well, you know, I grew up in the South, and now I live in the North, and a lot of Northerners still have a view that the
4: South (laughs) is, you know,
3: full of Klansmen around every corner.
4: That's another kind of stereotype. That's That's another show. (laughs) But,
3: but, you know, a lot of people say, and a a lot of people of color I know say, that um, they like the South a lot. Things are out in the open, and... um, Mm -hmm there's uh you know a, a lot of sociality there's a lot of living kind of next to each other uh working kind of next to each other and it's not uh altogether worse in the north there's um there can be a lot of closeted racism right. um it's less overt racism and then it can be you know more difficult to deal with but you have different kinds of racism mm-hmm. you you may have um Less racism against some African Americans and more against immigrants in some That's regions, true. and you know it just it varies by region to region. But it's it's definitely not less racist in the North than it is in the South. Right. It's different.
0: Well, let's take a look at the future. Let's go bit from the older generation uh, looking forward. Uh, um, Brownie, later better. As you look to the future, what does your generation think about the prospects for race relations?
2: I don't know about my generation, but I I have a lot of hope, um, but it's not a good time right now. (laughs) Politically, it's a terrible time. So I'm hoping for some change in that arena, and I think that'll make a difference. Mm -hmm. Because there really is, um, in my view, there really isn't an interaction between two people or among folks that somehow... Um, prejudice is not a piece of that Or race or other kinds of diversity What's happening to many Latinos I mean we have in Arkansas The the highest growth of Latino population in the country Did you know that? No Yes we do Our friends in various farm industries Have gone to recruit folk in Mexico And they are treated very poorly when they get here And um, so it's it's hard to watch those kinds of things and think that we're going to have a lot. Of. But I mean, I, but I have to have hope because I love this country and and I've worked in this kind of area. So you have to be an optimist if you do that. Dr.
0: Alkoff, the future.
3: Well, I have a lot of hope. I have two sons who are um, very much social activists on their campuses, and they're way more forward thinking than my husband and i have been and (laughs) way more willing to take risks and less willing Mm. to accept certain old things and so i think there's a new generation uh, of people like your other uh, woman on the show represents that is just um you know just very different and there's a lot of mixing there's a lot of couples that are mixing Mm -hmm. and children who have familial ties and what's different is in the older generation if you had a white parent and a Mm -hmm. non-white parent you often would have no relationship with your white extended family they just rejected them but now you have kids of mixed marriages have strong familial ties with both of their extended families so they have loving relationships with (coughs) white family members and with non-white family members and, you know, those kids have a very different experience that, um, you know, are leading the way for some of the rest of us. Mm-hmm.
0: Christy Bailey, the future. You're going to be living it.
4: <laughs> mm. Well, I, um, again, I personally have, you know, hope that we're going to be making, you know, <clears throat> strides in the future. Um, but I, I think the, the biggest piece of that is, again, acknowledgement. You know, just, just to say, you know, we're not all the same. Everyone gasps. And that's great. <laughs> we're not all the same. You know you know, I, you hear that, you know, well, we're all God's people. We're all the same. Yeah, we are, but we don't have the same experiences and we don't have the same backgrounds and we don't have the same cultures. And I think that acknowledging that, working with that, establishing a, an appreciation for, for our differences, you know, is, is the first step. And um, I think that acknowledging that we are different is very scary for some. You know, it, it's just it's so much easier to say, well, we all have the same chance and hard work gets mm-hmm. you where you you know want to go. No, not always. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's um, that's going to be the crucial key is just acknowledging the fact that, um, you know, we're different but that's a good thing.
0: Our topic is race relations. What is unusual about this generational discussion is that I am bringing back two of our earliest programs from 2001. We first did race relations from the black perspective and then race relations from the white perspective. How do you suppose the generations have changed now from then? Now we hear from the 2001 black perspective on race relations with my guest high school senior in Pine Bluff, Natalie Maddox, attorney and now presiding judge of the circuit court in the 11th Division of Western Arkansas, Ernest Brown, Jr., and then from California, Little Rock 9 member, Dr. Terrence Roberts, who's now 78. And I'd like to begin by asking you if you could share with us what you believe your generation's impact has had on the uh, race relations because you're really representing the uh, older generations tonight.
1: Great. I'll be glad to. I think one of the things we have to think about from the start is that when I was born in 1941, this country was operating under a constitutional edict that it was indeed constitutional to discriminate. The Supreme Court had ruled in 1896 in the Plessy versus Ferguson decision that it was constitutional, legal, ethical, moral, socially appropriate, and highly desirable to discriminate. And that discrimination was based on skin color. So when I was a young man growing up there in Little Rock, I did not enjoy the privilege of being fully invested in this society, not because I didn't want to be, but because I wasn't allowed to be. And that as a backdrop is is very, very important because it hasn't been that long ago. That changed legally in 1954, but it's significant to note the change in terms of the legal emphasis as opposed to the social emphasis because in the wake of the brown decision there was a loud outcry and many people weren't all that happy with it in fact the historians write about it as massive resistance because many people joined together and said under no circumstance will we allow this supreme court decision to take precedence over the plessy decision we want segregation now segregation tomorrow, segregation forever, and that echo is still heard. Uh, We heard bits and pieces of it most recently from Mississippi in the referendum over the Confederate flag, and that's just a small piece of uh, what we keep hearing around us. My generation had to deal with that. We were thrown into it and immersed in it, and we joined the forces that were already in operation And by that I mean we didn't invent the Civil Rights Movement. It was well underway when we arrived, and it has continued to date. But I think we were more focused and perhaps more motivated simply because of the extremely oppressive conditions we lived under. It was atrocious, to put it mildly, to to live in a society where you could walk down the streets and see signs on public restrooms that read men, women, colored, not even the distinction of gender uh, among people of color. That was psychologically horrifying. And socially, it meant that we were continuing to be locked out, didn't have a part to play. And in any society, if you feel like you are not really a part of the central action, you, you lose hope. You lose hope very quickly. And and so I think that gave rise to an urgency to move things along very quickly. And I think what we have seen over the past few years, let's say from the 50s onward, is a lot of change which I consider to be rather cosmetic. Oh, I can walk into stores now and try on clothing. I can sit at lunch counters and do this sort of thing. But I still find many, many doors closed. I find doors to the corporate boardrooms, doors to the seats of finance and uh, political power uh, virtually closed, Uh, open a bit in the sense that you will see faces of color peeking through now and then, but nothing like what I would expect to have happened. So uh, I think our generation, or my generation, has been very, very fortunate in one sense, and that we have had the opportunity to fight, because that's not always a given in an oppressive society. And I hope uh, that makes sense to our listeners. Uh,
0: Dr. Roberts, w- why do you think uh, your generation was the one that was chosen to forge this different path? You mentioned that the, uh, the activities had already begun in, in this uh, area, but that your generation seemed to be the one that uh, stepped forward. Why, why do you think that was the case?
1: Well, I think it was simply a a confluence of events. The time was right, in other words, that there were forces, social forces, legal forces, all coming together at one time. And I don't think it was simply because uh, of our generation and the choice that we made. I think we just happened to be on the scene when these forces were amalgamated.
0: And uh, could it have been also some of the leadership uh, that was out there at that particular time as opposed to prior to that?
1: Well, I I think the leadership had always been there. Uh, As as you look at history, you'll find evidence of people forcing the issue through the courts. Uh, Even slaves, when you read the slave narratives, you find that that group of people were adamant in trying to force the courts to grant them full citizenship. They were rebuffed at every turn, but that fight uh, continued.
0: Uh, Dr. Roberts, as you look at the uh, current status of uh, race relations, how do you look at uh, the the, uh, generations right now in the middle of this?
1: Well, I think, unfortunately, as a people across generations, we have not yet confronted the issue head on. We have done a few things around the periphery, but we have never really mustered the will or the commitment to take this thing on full scale. And I think about it in terms of a comparison With national defense, we have pulled out all the stops for national defense. We uh, spare no power, no money, no energy. But when it comes to race relations, we're hesitant to to really even start a dialogue about it.
0: So are you saying that what started in your early part of your life is now, uh, as you see it, sort of at a crawl?
1: Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. A crawl, if it is in fact crawling,
0: well, I was trying to be kind. <laughs> <He is. laughs> we have one more break. You're listening to yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This is a combined rebroadcast of our two thousand one programs on race relations, the black, and race relations, the white perspectives. Stay with us. We will finish up with more from my guest on the black perspective. High school senior in Pine Bluff, Natalie Maddox, attorney and now presiding judge of the Circuit Court in the 11th Division of Western Arkansas, Ernest Brown, Jr., and then from California, Little Rock 9 member, Dr. Terrence Roberts, who's now 78. Ernest Brown, uh, your generation was among the first to follow those civil rights era battles into the real world, and race relations for your generation has taken on a whole new meaning. Um, What do you think is the current real status of race relations from your generation's point of view?
5: Well, first, let me say good evening to you, Phil, and to the listeners. It's a great privilege and honor to be here this evening. And as I think about that question, I'm reminded of a quote by uh, Frederick Douglass, who said, uh, during the whole history of the progress of human liberty, it shows that all concessions yet made to her august chains have been born of earnest struggle. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. And as I look at the current state of race relations, at least for this middle generation, uh, there's a feeling sometimes that uh, the struggle is over, that uh, we've somehow overcome. And um, I would say on a positive note that African-Americans uh, have made uh, significant gains. You see um, more African-Americans in, in, in certain fields that uh, were once uh, only related to one race. Um, however, you see more instances of driving while black, Uh, where African-Americans are targeted in that situation, shopping while black. We've seen uh, some evidence of that uh, here recently. Uh, More segregation in the schools where you see the white flight with uh, more of the public schools becoming predominantly African-American. So from that perspective, I do agree with Dr. Roberts that uh, to a certain degree, it has come to a crawl. You mentioned in the introduction that... um, I'm the president of the uh, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People in Pine Bluff, and one of the reasons that I'm involved with the NAACP is that I believe strongly that the struggles that Dr. Roberts uh, and his generation went through have laid a foundation for my generation, hopefully will serve as a catalyst for Natalie's generation, and I feel like I'd be doing a disservice not to be involved and to be active in continuing that that fight and making others aware because... um, People that forget their past are doomed to repeat it, and I think that it's very important that uh, you're aware of what the past is and that you make uh, plans for the future. Uh, Ernest, as you were growing up, did you um,
0: in those early uh, in those early parts of your life, uh, did those early efforts yield a better world for you that came from Dr. Robert's generation, or were you aware of the real differences between your up your uh, early years and his early
5: years? Uh, most definitely uh, Dr. Roberts, and uh, <laughs> uh, he and my dad are, all, are only one year apart. So uh, my dad uh, and my mom both did a good job of uh, really bringing that to bear for us. So I would definitely say I'm, I was definitely aware of the advantages that I had based on that period of time. And I was very thankful for the sacrifices made by that particular generation to give me the educational opportunities that I that I had, and I definitely took it, uh, advantage of those. So, uh, no question about it. I, like I said earlier, I think those struggles definitely laid a positive foundation for the future that President and I now have, and hopefully for the future that that my son, who is uh, now 11 months, will have. Well, as you assess your
0: generation compared to uh, the earlier generation, <coughs> what where do you think your generation, that block in the middle, is going to find its place in history in terms of what you your generation has done to advance the areas of race relations?
5: Well, I think, uh, Phil, that as far as my generation goes, I think that we are, um, status-wise, education, uh, you see the number of African-Americans actually graduating from high school and going on to college. Those numbers, percentage-wise, has increased. More African-Americans that are doing well as far as the medium income. So I think, economically-wise, you see a lot more African-Americans moving into that middle class. So I think that is definitely a positive. In addition, I see see you see more African-Americans moving into that first, the first black secretary of state, the first black national security advisor, making that progress so that when now the generation comes, it won't be so new that you see a a black in this particular, African-American in this particular uh, uh, place. I think that our generation has somewhat picked up that ball and forged uh, into those areas. And unfortunately, as Dr. Roberts said, it's only maybe one or two and we haven't moved in in mass numbers like we should, but we are gradually making progress in that area.
0: So, what do you see as the future, as you, from your generation looking forward? What do you, what do you, your people in that generation group, see as the future?
5: Well, as I look at the future from uh, uh generation's perspective, I, what I would like to see is when um, we see appointments to uh, the Supreme Court to uh, uh, various offices, the coaching position, whatever the positions be, that it not be such a uh, surprise when I, uh, when someone of color or minority seeks the position. And still, there are a lot of firsts, even after uh, Dr. Robert's generation, you still have a lot of firsts, a lot of firsts in this particular area. And so I'll, as I see in the future, I would see that it, we wouldn't have so many of those firsts. It would be something that would be more accepted and... Uh, I'm more of a custom,
0: mm-hmm. Natalie. Uh, when when you look at the situations at school right now, uh, the the thing that I've noticed is the in the multiracial society that we're seemingly becoming. Are are you noticing in school there much in the way of the the mixing of the races in a in a multiracial area, or is it still the separation? Well, I feel as we get closer to this into this millennium, that we are becoming closer. In my schools, you know, most of us sit together, park beside each other, and we're growing closer to accepting it. Some people don't, but as we get older, we are. So you're seeing more of a blending than was out there before. Yes. Ernest, I'd like to uh, drop back and ask you a question. Um, I noticed uh, an article I read that was by Dr. Benjamin DeMott. Uh, He wrote an article, uh, The Trouble with Friendship, Why Americans Can't Think Straight About Race. And he basically says that after 400 years of negative history, that everything's been fixed, and I just kind of like to know what you think about everything being fixed.
5: Well, <laughs> I I don't I definitely don't uh, agree that uh, if I'm understanding his perspective, everything has been fixed. There are a lot of people that, like I said earlier, feel like there's been overcoming and that uh, is now. Uh, an opportunity for everybody to proceed on even footing. Uh, yes, we've had segregation. Yes, we've had that. But the difference is is that the uh, racism that existed with regard to African-Americans in particular were, as Dr. Roberts said, it was institutionalized. It was on the books, and it takes a while for that particular type of um, segregation racism to get fixed in a short amount of time. It says our um, chairman of the NAACP board, Mr. Julian Bond said when he came to our NAACP banquet about three years ago, he said it's analogous to a football game, field. He said for almost four quarters up until the two minute warning uh, the other team has gotten all the calls, have Uh, had the best equipment, Uh, everything has gone that team's way, then with the two-minute warning, you all of a sudden say, now we're going to make sure the calls are fair, we're going to give you all good equipment, and now everything is going to be fair. It takes longer than that amount of time for things to become fixed, and I thought that was a great analogy because that's the way it is. It's only been a short time that African-Americans have had some of the same advantages as others, and um, I think until there's been a little bit more time, I think that some of the inequities that we see uh, will indeed be fixed.
0: Dr. Roberts, I want to throw it back to you and ask you about the idea of everything being fixed. Has that uh, crossed your uh, horizon on this at all?
1: Well, I would agree with the other two speakers that uh, nothing has really been fixed. Uh, We have yet to identify what it is we're thinking of fixing and I think we have to do that first before we can even get close to concluding that we've done anything. I, I think there are a number of writers and uh, social commentators who would like very much for it to, quote, have been fixed, because I think it's too painful a subject to enter into in terms of a national dialogue. I bump into people all the time who are simply frightened of even voicing, giving voice to what they feel inside about these things.
0: Um, Ernest Brown, in, uh, when I look at uh over the the fifty two years i've been alive the, the part that I knew about anyway uh, i I can name leaders uh the ones that came out of uh, dr robert's generation what are who are the leaders that that your generation is looking to now? Are they the same leaders or are is there other leaders in the on the horizon
5: I would definitely say that um, uh, there are a, a plethora of, of leaders I mean when you're beginning to look at our generation and and, and it's becoming more economically and educationally advanced, I began to think that it's not the same central, bigger-than-life leaders that you had during Dr. Roberts' generation, such as Dr. King. I think now uh, you have more African-Americans in uh, Congress, uh, more African-Americans in the business world. So I think that when you talk about leaders, they, they can be, depending on what field you talk about, you don't have that one figure that is necessarily the spokesperson for the african-american mm-hmm. community and i'll be honest with you phil i like that because in our community we have diverse personalities and ideas and when you go to other um, ethnic groups there's not one person that speaks for all hispanics or all caucasians and I, i've always uh, have somewhat of a fence when you sometimes people go and say okay who is the spokesperson for the uh, community i mean it We have a lot of ideas and and, and different uh, diversity as we bring to the table. So I would say that that's one thing I think has been good about our generation is that advancement where there are a lot of bright leaders that are uh, on the forefront.
0: Dr. Roberts, how do you see the area of leadership?
1: Well, I'm not certain that uh, that's a necessary focus. Uh, I'd like to promote the idea of individuals taking charge and developing a sense of executive responsibility for social change uh... and not looking to leaders per se uh... because i think that is problematic but i think if individuals would take on that responsibility we would see ferment in a lot of areas and we would see initiatives being taken at the grassroots level and uh, wherever people find themselves
0: Uh, the idea of Consensual segregation is one that I'd kind of like to toss out to you guys for your comments because it seems like that apparently in Florida we still have segregation that is accepted by both the white and the the black uh, races.
1: Actually, it doesn't sound that way to me. Uh, I think that term consensual is actually not accurate, especially based on that last tidbit you shared about the proprietor saying to the black customer that you have to go into the back. That doesn't sound so consensual to me.
0: No, it doesn't, but I think uh, uh, what uh, Mr. Walker was talking about in this article here, and I really don't want to take time to read the whole thing, is that the uh, residents, uh, um, he says, Perry residents openly admit that racial separation is common in the town. It's about an 8,000 population. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: I, I think it's common, and even without that article, I know this to be a fact, and it's a product not because people are agreeing that this is the way they want it to be, but because the oppression is so present and the mindset is so intransigent, it's sometimes very difficult to maintain the high level energy necessary to keep pushing against that. There's almost a resignation in
5: that, not a consenting. Uh, Ernst Brown, what do you think? And I would agree with Dr. Roberts on that. I would say that when he says resignation, it's almost like, you know, I have to worry about just my survival and not really worry about. Uh, the effect of changing necessary the circumstances that are around me as far as that goes I can spend more energy on um, other items besides that but um, when we talk about uh, acceptance or those type of dynamics I think it's important we look at the fact where uh, in some folks mind uh, African Americans are more likely to when you talk about stops uh, and that racial profile and I mean maybe it was accepted that we were stopped more and that was dealt with but until the situation was really full blown in New Jersey where we found that to be just troublesome for us just to be stopped out and profiled um, I think sometime uh, accepting the reality is what is our reality do we make it uh, what it is that exists or do we try to change our reality into something that's that's uh, better but i think in that particular situation i would agree that there has been some of resignation that african-americans go to these restaurants and whites go to that restaurant and until somehow the reality and the perception changes i think that likely will occur and i think it's not only occurring there in Perry, florida but in other places
0: and dr roberts let me ask you about that in terms of the older generation have you seen a, uh, a mixing of the generations as you've aged in in uh, in this or is or not
1: What I've seen and continue to see is that we, uh, as a people across lines of color, race, and ethnicity, tend to live in something I call a pseudo-community. There's a thin veneer of civility where we're polite and we don't fight each other, but there is no real connection that crosses these lines. There are some people who grow beyond it and are able to live in this society without giving credence to these lines of separation, but the vast majority of people pay attention to the lines. They really
0: do. Ernest, go ahead. And I
5: just to say that uh, on that note, uh, we talk about integration through the week, but on Sundays is the most segregated day of the week, and until we can cross some of those lines, I mean, we're really just, in a sense, uh, uh, fantasizing. Sure, I have some friends that uh, I maintain contact with, they're very close to me, that I went to uh, college with, but you still have somehow being able to cross that line on a Sunday, and we worship the same God. Uh, but get, getting past that, that, that fellowship or that socialization to that level is still, at least for my generation, I can't speak for Dr. Roberts, even Nally, but getting to that point uh, has still been a struggle. I remember mean, when I graduated from uh, high school, actually Hope High School in 88, and we had a baccalaureate service. None of my white classmates came to that, and we had gone to school for, from kindergarten on up. We had not one Caucasian to come, so it was a church service. So I still think that there are some lines that, um, for some reason, we just don't cross.
0: It's interesting that you guys would bring that up. I'm an early riser. I get up early every morning, and on Sunday mornings, I get up the same time all the time and I when I turn the TV on I'll I'll see the channels that are showing the different uh, church services and it's been uh, uh, what I've noticed is the white services are all white and the black services are all black and they're and I'm wondering where do we leave race relations at the door (laughs) (laughs) all the time it seems to be that's the way it is Natalie are you noticing that in in your generation with the uh, when it comes to the religious end of it too yes um, I don't see that many whites in our church, and I haven't really been to their church. I don't think. Yes, we all worship the same God, but we worship diff- differently. We have our different types of music and our different service. So I don't think it's just like we don't want to worship together. I think it's all in what you like and your style. So what I mentioned earlier about cons- consensual segregation is also consensual separation in these sort of things too. Then, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I think you have to to realize and understand that this all happened because of the chosen way of existence by the people in this country who set the social rules in place. It was against the law for black people to be seen in institutions where white people worshipped or traded or conducted business or sought educations. And that's what I was talking about in terms of we've never confronted that. It's still in place.
0: I hope you have gained from this retrospective on race relations. Having this generational archive is the sole purpose of our program over these years. This has been a retrospective on race relations, the black perspective in 2001, and then race relations, the white perspective. My guests were Christy Bailey, Dr. Linda Alcoff, and the late Brownie Ledbetter, views from the white perspective, and Natalie Maddox, Ernest Brown Jr., along with Little Rock 9 member Dr. Terrence Roberts, views from the black perspective. I will post this program on our KUAR podcast page at KUAR.org. Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow is a production of KUAR in partnership with the University of Arkansas Little Rock. You can find us online and send your comments to ytt at KUAR.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month.